for leading us in that time of singing our praises to the Lord. I do want to thank you for coming this morning. Uh, I no longer take you for granted. I didn't before, but even more so now. But thanks for making the effort and being with us this morning. We're absolutely delighted that you're here. Let me ask you, are, are you enjoying life? Are you a joyful person? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you a joyful person? And if not, why not? One blogger confesses to having had bouts of extreme sadness, has become a student of joy, what steals it, and what brings more into our lives. The title of the blog that I'm looking at this morning actually is titled, 25 Things That Can Steal Your Joy. And I'm not going to list all 25, but let me read just a sample. Regret, worry, perfectionism versus excellence, a critical attitude, Complaining, comparison and jealousy, being ungrateful, unrealistic expectations, an entitlement mentality, being someone that you're not, in other words, wearing masks, guilt, lack of purpose. Can you relate to any of those from that list? My reading recently, I came across this explanation and It struck me so much that I actually took my day book and and wrote it out. To be joyful is to find our fundamental satisfaction in God and then to receive every pleasure in life as a gift of His grace. Joy. To be joyful is to find our fundamental satisfaction in God And then to receive every pleasure in life as a gift of his grace. But how do we do that? Living in a less than perfect world, full of less than perfect people, you and I included. Surrounded by all kinds, immersed in less than perfect circumstances. How do we find our satisfaction in God and then receive every pleasure in life as a gift of his grace. Especially when we find ourselves facing all these unpleasant circumstances, realities. It's a good question. And it's a question that King Solomon addresses right here in the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'd invite you to please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Now you'll remember that this book of Ecclesiastes is all about life in the mist. The preacher actually refers to it as life under the sun, which means living life without any consideration of God, living apart from God. There is no regard for life above the sun, only under the sun. 
It's all about life here and now. This life and nothing more. And from the very beginning of the book, verse 2 actually, of the very first chapter, Solomon is crystal clear. Life, from this perspective, leads to what he describes as vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This morning we're going to identify some unpleasant realities of life in the mist that can steal your joy and by preventing us from enjoying God's good gifts. The very things that he gives us to promote joy in our lives. So please stand with me for the reading from God's word, beginning at chapter 8 and verse 16. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and see the task which has been done on earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. For I have taken all this to my heart and explained it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, for they, for, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Go then. Eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let, your oil be lack, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. This is God's word to us today. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, in the words of the psalmist, 
You've established your throne in the heavens, and your sovereignty rules over all. Our studies in this book of Ecclesiastes has revealed that, that you have a plan. A plan that is detailed, permanent, perfect, purposeful, and predictable. Predictable in the sense that it is always consistent with your perfections, with who you are, with your attributes. There's nothing that catches you by surprise, but we admit that we are often caught by surprise. Sometimes our circumstances are self-inflicted consequences, but at other times they remain unexplainable, a mystery to us. We don't understand. And as a result, we can question, become frustrated, get angry, and can even become bitter because of these unfolding events of life. Forgive us, Father, for doubting your faithfulness. Allow us to catch a glimpse of your thoughts and your ways communicated through Solomon in this specific text that we're giving our attention to this morning. May it be used to continue the transformation process in each of our lives so that we will become more and more like Jesus, both individually and collectively, in our words and in our deeds, in our thoughts and feelings, in our actions and our reactions. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy. What steals it and what brings more of it into our lives? Solomon doesn't present the list of 25 things that can steal your joy, but he does offer and identify three unpleasant realities, joy stealers, before pointing to three provisions of God given to us for our enjoyment. Three Unpleasant realities, three pleasant realities given for our enjoyment. Let's first look at the three unpleasant realities that will steal your joy. Look at verses 16 and 17 of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. When I gave my heart, that indicates some intentionality, focus, determined effort. To know wisdom and to see the task. Notice this is a a two-pronged effort which has been done on the earth even though one should never sleep day or night. I'm not really sure whether this is Solomon or this is just life in general. Is he just referring to ceaseless activity? That's how he characterized life. Like according to the New Living Translation, that's how they... Translate, life is just a series of ceaseless activities ongoing. Or is he speaking specifically in this search? He's just pursuing it with everything he has. And I saw every work of God. I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. You may want to underline that last phrase. It's key to this passage, to understanding this passage. Man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. 
Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. Underline it. He will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. Getting the picture? Let's go on to verse 1 of chapter 9. For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that the right... Explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know, underline it, whether it will be love or hatred, anything awaits him. Man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. He will not discover. He cannot discover. Man does not know. So what unpleasant reality is it that can steal your joy? Our limited understanding can rob you of joy. Clearly we have a limited understanding of what in the world is going on. Clearly we have a limited understanding. We will not always be able to make sense what is happening to us or in us or around us. There is an element of life that will always remain a mystery to us. You cannot escape that. You will not be able to explain it nor understand it. I'm sorry, that's who we are. That's why it is life in the mist. It's going to be a puzzle to it. Additionally, our understanding of God's approval, disapproval is limited. This one's harder. In fact, it's virtually impossible to determine God's favor or unfavor on your life based on your outward circumstances. It's easy for us to assume that A God with a sovereign plan would certainly bless the righteous and withhold blessing to the unrighteous. But it's just not the case. And we've already studied that in Ephesians chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, chapter 7. Look specifically, just turn the page back to verse 14 of chapter 8. There is futility which is done in the earth. King Solomon says. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. Hmm. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I say, and you say, and we agree with Solomon, that is futility. It's hard to understand. It's puzzling. Makes life confusing. Now I'm not suggesting for a moment. Not even for a moment. That you cannot know your standing before God. 1 John chapter 5 verse 11 to 13 reads. The testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. 
And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you so that you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt so that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 reads, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. If you've come to that point in your life where you understand your depravity, the fact that you and I are incapable of living up to the standard of perfection that God requires for relationship with him, we just, we're incapable. If you've come to that point where you've realized that and you've turned to God and asked him to forgive us, repented of your sin, want nothing more to do with it, and then by faith have started trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. His accomplishment purchased our forgiveness. It was our only hope. If you've done that, then you can know that you have eternal life. And I know most of us here this morning have made that kind of decision. And my hope and prayer is that every one of us will have that hope and assurance. We can be absolutely certain about our standing with God. But determining God's favor or approval based on the so-called blessings of life or, you know, when life tilts in our favor... We find ourselves winning, experiencing a season of success upon success. When we're growing in prosperity and popularity, just say thank you. Just thank you. That's all you can say. But do not assume that this is an indication of God's favor on your life. That's just being presumptuous. A father and his small son were out walking one day when the boy turned to his dad and said, Dad, how does electricity go through those wires? I don't know, said his father. I never knew much about electricity. A few blocks further on, the boy asked, What causes lightning and thunder? That too has puzzled me came the reply. The youngster is at that stage in his life where he just continued to ask question after question. Why, why, why? Finally, they were nearing home, and the boy said, Dad, I, sh I sure hope you don't mind me asking all these questions. Not at all, replied the father. How else are you going to learn? <laughs> Beloved, we ought to ask all the why questions that we have. Don't be afraid to ask the why questions. But with the realization that there are some things that are beyond our human comprehension. For us, there's going to be some things that are going to remain a mystery. And when we find ourselves in the mist, we can be sure that God knows. And someday, you and I will know even as we are known. But until then, our pastor in Florida used to always say, 
when you come to that wall of incomprehensibility, just bow the knee and worship him. You can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go around it. The best thing you can do is fall down on your knees and worship God. We can cry out with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, verse 31. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decision and his ways. Worship him. Worship him. Otherwise, our limited understanding, it will rob you of joy. It has that possibility, has that potential. Look at verses 2 and 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and one for the wicked. New Living Translation reads, or sorry, the New International Version reads, all share a common destiny for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean. For the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity. It is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. The New Living Translation reads, Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. First, it was our limited understanding. Secondly, it's our ultimate end. can rob us of joy. Death is nasty. It's just nasty. It doesn't matter how it arrives. The Bible refers to it as our last great enemy that Christ will defeat on our behalf. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is deep into a discussion on the fact of the resurrection. Notice verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man came, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are in Christ at his, at his coming. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to, the God, to, the God, and Father, to God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. No more death. Can you imagine? 
When I'm asked to officiate at a funeral service, I often use the following opening as part of the invocation. As we come together today, we are comforted by one of those unavoidable, difficult realities of life. The scriptures speak of this. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Your life is like a fog. It's here a little while, and then it is gone. You've decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. No one can live forever. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. To live is to die. Death is one of those unavoidable realities of life. But in the same way that it speaks of death, the scriptures clearly teach of life beyond the grave. And then I continue. Funerals are confrontations with our ultimate end. I came across this quote years ago. The most important thing you can do in this life is to prepare for your death. Good advice in a culture where we do everything that we can to avoid or deny death. God has a plan. A detailed, permanent, perfect, purposeful, and predictable plan that includes the end of your life and the end of my life. How does that make you feel? What goes through your mind when you reflect on that reality? You, meaning God, have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live and we are not given a minute longer. That's sobering, is it not? That's what I love about funerals. No hiding in a funeral. At some point, we're next. And that kind of confrontation with the ultimate end of our life or the lives of people that we love can suck the joy out of life. Now look at verses 4 through 6. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. You may want to underline that phrase. In the New Living Translation it reads, There is hope only for the living. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal 
have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. I'm going to read verse 6 from Eugene Peterson's interpretive translation. Their love, their, their loves, their hates, yes, even their dreams, are long gone. There's not a trace of them left in the affairs of the earth. First, it was our limited understanding. Secondly, it was our ultimate end. And thirdly, it is the death of all hope. That can rob us of joy. Solomon's not suggesting that there's no life after death. That's not what he's saying. Remember, he's writing from the perspective of life under the sun, apart from God. And so from this life under the sun perspective, with death ends all hope. It's all gone. He uses a memorable proverb to emphasize his point. A live dog is better than a dead lion. Now in Solomon's day, dogs are not the cuddly, cute, much-loved, adored. Um, I'm looking at Glenn. Means of employment. In fact, in, remember how Goliath referred to David as he approached him with a slingshot? He had been taunting the the nation of Israel, and he says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? The ultimate insult. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. See, dogs in Solomon's day were dirty, despicable scavengers. Whereas the lion? Oh, he... He was considered much as he is today. The Lion King. The King of Beasts. Noble. Majestic. Powerful. Unless, of course, it's dead. Solomon's point is life is better than death for the following reasons. Death brings ignorance. First part of verse 5. But the dead do not know anything. Secondly, death forfeits all opportunity to contribute. Look at the second part of verse 5. Nor have they any longer a reward. Verse 6. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. And thirdly, death leads to obsolescence. For their memory is forgotten. It's like your hand putting into a pail of water. You pull the hand out. Except for a few ripples that eventually settle down. Nothing. As if you didn't ever exist. That's life under the sun. One of Cynthia's favorite movies of all time is Dead Poet Society. It tells the story of an unconventional English professor by the name of John Keating at Welton Academy. Listen to this exchange between Professor Keating and one of his students named Charlie about a specific line in a poem that they're studying. Keating, 
says, Seize the day, greater ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the author use those words? Charlie, because he's in a hurry. Keating, no, ding, thank you very much for playing. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because, believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn ice cold, and die. That is exactly what Solomon is talking about here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Not 25, but Solomon gives us three unpleasant realities that are true for every one of us in this room this morning. Regardless of where you're coming from, where you are presently, or where you think you may be going. Regardless of who you think you are. Regardless of who we know or who knows us. Regardless of our accomplishments and or, and or our accumulations. Doesn't matter. These three unpleasant realities are true for every one of us. You have limited understanding. Your death is inescapable. And once dead, all hope is gone. There are no second chances. There are no reruns. There are no remakes. It's over. It is what it is. Three unpleasant realities that can steal your joy. Joy. What steals it and what brings more of it into our lives? Thank goodness, Solomon continues. Look at verses 7 through 9. Beginning at verse 7. Go then. That, that could actually be translated with those famous words from Dead Poets Society. Seize the day. And while we're there, I should point out, I want to point out, that you may want to circle all of these words. Go, eat, drink, enjoy. Every one of those words is written in the imperative. It's a command. Solomon's not making a suggestion here. This is not an option you can take or leave. These are commands to be obeyed. You ignore them, dismiss them, forget about them, push them out of the way. That's sin. And you'll need to confess and repent. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. In other words, these activities, they please God. Going, eating, drinking, enjoying. Let your clothes be white all the time. And let not oil be lacking on your head. The New Living Translation reads, Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. In other words, get dressed up, clean up, and let's get ready to party. That's what Solomon's suggesting. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love. A literal translation of that 
in the, from the original language, would read, see life with the wife you love. See life with the, lo- with the wife you love. Now, someone may be tempted, some smart aleck, might say, well, what about with the wife I don't love? Then I would say, confess your sin. And get back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And to the the wives, in verse 22, you don't escape. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. I mentioned husbands first, intentionally, because that's God's design. Men are to lead. Men, we need to lead by setting the example, by loving our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I'd also caution us to mind your own verses. Never mind what God said to the wife. And wives, never mind what God said to the husband. You, each one, let's agree to mind our own verses. And then remember that marriage is for our sanctification, primarily, not just for our happiness. Happiness is kind of a, an extra, a delightful thing added on. It's primarily for our sanctification. May God protect our marriages and give us the strength and courage to do it his way. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 6, reveals three unpleasant realities that can suck the joy out of our lives. In verse 7 through 9, the pendulum swings, and Solomon presents three pleasant realities that God intends for our enjoyment. Let's summarize these three pleasant realities And I've chosen to use three C's. Enjoy the basic comforts of life. Food and drink. Look for opportunities to participate. In fact, some of us need to create them. Because you're that kind of personality. Celebrations. Reasons to clean up and dress up. You don't have to be the life of the party, but perhaps you can host one or two. And then treasure, value, and continue to invest in companions, comrades that we're journeying through life with together. As intimate as a wife, and then others as well. Three C's, comforts, celebrations, and companions. And the longer I thought about it, I came up with three F's as well. Food, fun, and friendships. 
Enjoy them. These are the kinds of activities that please God and promote joyful living in spite of life's inescapable and unpleasant realities. You know what I'm talking about. As followers of Jesus Christ, we of all people should be able to enjoy life under the sun. Sometimes I think we take ourselves way too seriously. At other times, this world just squeezes us into its mold. J.V. Phillips talks about that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Squeezed into the mold, we start to think and feel and behave like unbelievers. May we be found going, eating, drinking, and enjoying life in ways that glorify God. This morning, Solomon has given us a huge wake-up call. Go, eat, drink, enjoy. Stop being a Debbie Downer. Remember the quote I read earlier? To be joyful is to find our fundamental satisfaction in God and then to receive every pleasure in life as a gift of His grace. Take time to identify and smell the roses in your life this week. Look at Jesus. Look at Him. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. That's the image of Christ that Solomon is calling to be formed in your life and in my life this morning. And the Spirit of God who dwells in every believer, the fruit he is committed to creating in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray. Father, your word informs us that every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Enable us to enjoy these good and perfect gifts appropriately. May we be a joyful people, a joyful church family, joyful individuals, not taking ourselves too seriously, but taking you and your plans and purposes really seriously. Thank you for companions, for celebrations, and for all the basic comforts of life, food, shelter, and drink, that we so often take for granted. May each one of us be ambassadors of joy, regardless of the crosses that we are called to bear by the power of your spirit and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.